FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. Alongside columnist Jeff Calkins and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington, here's beat reporter Ron Tillery. Welcome to another edition of the Grizzlies Podcast. It's going to be a very tankalicious edition of the, the podcast, uh, and we thank you very much for joining us. Obviously, guys, I'm being a little funny here. Uh, joined by Chris Harrington, our pick and pop columnist, and our general columnist, Jeff Calkins. I'm Ron Tillery, the Grizzlies beat writer. And let's just dive right into it. Um, the Grizzlies lost a game at home against the worst team in the NBA in the Phoenix Suns. And so some might say they won by losing. <laughs> but I, I'm just interested in you guys' idea of the whole tank conversation because it's, it's you know, it's it's all over the place. And, and fans and media alike are very much into it. It just strikes me that with the Grizzlies, you know, it's kind of a dual path, like, towards tanking. Like, they have the injuries, and, and it's kind of by circumstance. But, I mean, at what point do we have to acknowledge that, you know, it's also just a bad team? Well, I mean, there's sort of two types of, like, team, bad teams when you get to this point of the season. There are the teams that knew they were going to be here and the teams that didn't know they were going to be here, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Atlanta Hawks knew when the season started, we're going to be bad this season and we're going to try to get a high draft pick next summer. The Grizzlies were, are not, and most of these teams were like that. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, Phoenix, Sacramento, Dallas, Brooklyn, I don't think any of these teams had realistic hopes that they would compete for a playoff spot. The Grizzlies are one that did, and that was their plan. And so they're not trying to be bad. They were bad. They accepted the reality of being bad once you hit a certain point in the season. And they've done some things to sort of embrace that reality. But I, I think the word tank is it's, it's a thing that people just, it's, it's like an echo chamber. People start to say it. It doesn't strictly apply to the Grizzlies situation. No, in some ways, um, it's an interesting question because in some ways, it's a little disconcerting in the sense of, well, you could say it's admirable. They were trying to win. Things went off the rails. And so now they've adjusted to their circumstances. You could also say that it they just completely misjudged lots of things along the way that got them to where they are. They misjudged um, They misjudged when they signed Chandler Parson. They misjudged how good their second-level players are. They misjudged how good how good Jermichael was going to be, how good Ben McLemore was going to be, how good – you know, like, like even three weeks ago or two weeks ago when John Hollinger said that – he didn't. One of the reasons they kept Tyreek was they didn't think they would be bad enough to be in the conversation for one of the really, you know, top three picks or kind right. of thing. Again, they seem to not have a sense of who they are. So, yes, it's admirable because they were trying to win and now they've adjusted. But it also is the product of some pretty misguided evaluation, both on the front end of decision makings that they the decisions that they've made, and then be assessing where they are. Yeah, it seems to me that's where I kind of fall because they are right now the third worst team in the NBA uh, percentage wise. Right. Um, um, at the same time, if if they had judged correctly, even without Mike Conley, they should have had a roster that could you know overcome the injury. Now you can't replace Mike Conley. Here you have the same questions now that you had going into training camp. I mean, remember what we were talking about? Can Chandler Parsons contribute to winning? You know, is Tyreek going to be healthy? Um, what about the young kids? Which one are, ones are going to emerge? Right. And and you're still asking those questions. Well, I mean, they, they had a fragile roster coming to the, into the season where essentially half of the roster were veterans who had injury 
concerns and half the roster were young players who had not proven anything. Mm-hmm. And the one guy who who was sort of in the middle, you didn't think you had concerns about in either of those directions, was Jermichael Green, and he gets hurt in the first game, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like like they didn't ex- they didn't misjudge by uh, you know not 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 seeing that Mike Conley was only going to play twelve games this season. Sure, I mean Mike Conley, Marcus All had probably their best combined season of basketball last year, and so even with all the other fragility. If you gotten a repeat or ninety percent of a repeat of last year's, you know, not lop, lop off ten percent for you know an age, you know, reduction or whatever. If you've gotten something close to last year's Mike Conley and Marcus All, this team is not in this situation. They're no, probably, they're not. They probably that, still miss the playoffs. They're not in that situation. But but I, I think there's, I would say that this season is a product of three things. One is very clearly Mike getting in a huge part of what happened sure. this season. I, you c- cannot deny that. That's a huge part of they would They would not be anywhere near this situation if they had Mike from last year. But then the second thing is two other things are coming home to roost. One is their failure to, right. to identify good young players for the past seven years who could be bolstering them. And so that's why they have all these second-round draft picks who they're trying to count on and prop up. So when Mike gets hurt, they don't have that fall to back on. And then thirdly, the bets that they have made, right. whether it's the big bet in Chandler or the smaller bets or medium-sized bets in Ben, the ben McLemore's, they tend to not have paid off either. So you have the problem with, with Mike. There's no question. That's the gut like that would have propped them up. But when that is then knocked out, you have the, fa- the the other failings of the front office are truly revealed because there's nothing left to fall back on. That's why, you know, I'm not really into the tanking conversation. I, I know why people are excited about it. You know, you know, fans are are into the, the tank standings and right. and obviously getting a top draft pick provides optimism uh, for the future, you know, because you might get a star player. But everywhere I go, whether it's in the arena talking to season ticket holders or whether it's like like yesterday, I dropped my phone and cracked it up. So I went to this place called One Up on Germantown. And, and the guy, once I gave him my name, immediately wanted to talk about the Grizzlies because he's a season ticket holder. And he's like concerned about the direction right. of the franchise and what's the plan. And I think, you know, even with the pick, and it's likely to be, what are we thinking, somewhere between. It'll be uh, in the top. It'll top, be the top, top eight top, top at eight. worst. Yeah. Um, they're concerned about, you know, just how uh, how 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 much the 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 front office is going to be able to 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 come away with something that works. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm sure Ron, I mean, I'm sure Chris has things to say about this. Yeah. Two things. I am into the tank um, mm-hmm. because I do think that regardless of whatever you think about the front office, like for people who say. Well, why do you even care about the draft pick if they blow draft picks? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. To the extent that I don't trust them to make the perfect draft pick, I trust them more at one than I do at eight. You know, right. so I am absolute. It's all the more reason that I want them to have hope and a stud and whatever mm-hmm. else is because of all these things we're talking about. The so, same players are going in the same slots in this draft, right, roughly, drafting, no matter right. who is drafting. Right. And, and, right? and so maybe whatever. So so I am a hundred percent into that. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can embrace. The, the importance of getting a potential star player on the one hand, which I do, and also be skeptical of this front office decision making, broadly speaking, which I also am. I think I think you can be be both of those things. And I would say I fit into both of those categories. Right. I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to sustain success forever unless you're the Spurs. Right. So they've been playing seven years in a row. At some point, like chickens are coming home to roost. But when you add but when you add on to that, 
you know, blowing high draft pick in Ashim Thabit years ago and not having that player coming in and blowing a, you know, a hot, you know, a max contract in free agency, like pain is inevitable. Like it was just going to happen at some point when, when you combine the natural cycle of up and down with bad decisions. And so I am concerned of how they navigate out of it into the next thing. But at some point, if, you have, if you're going to have an NBA franchise, you're going to have to accept there's going to be some downs. It's gonna, not going to be up all the time. Well, one of the conversations I had with uh, our, one of our colleagues in the media, um, you know, because everybody's trying to figure out how to eliminate tanking. You know, everybody's coming up with their own formula, oh, their yeah. own system. And, you know, to, to, that, to that degree, I'm not in. I mean, whatever. Because here's my point. There's nothing you can come up with that's going to magically make your front office smarter. The Spurs, and you mentioned the Spurs, the Spurs didn't have to tank to get an MVP caliber player in Kawhi Leonard. They traded a perfectly good point guard in George Hill for the 15th pick with the express interest in drafting Kawhi Leonard. The Grizzlies, in turn, have a 17th pick who they eventually waive and can't even trade and waive a one. And, and, and so it's still those kind of missteps. It's like the, the, the Thunder lost Kevin Durant. But they had assets right. to, to be able to make moves to get a Paul George and a Carmelo Anthony to stay relevant. And then when everybody talk about super teams, we leave out the fact that Golden State drafted Steph Curry when the Grizzlies could have. They drafted right. Draymond Green when the Grizzlies could have. They drafted Klay Thompson. Now the Grizzlies couldn't have done that. But these are drafted players who they were able to build around to make it, able, uh, uh, to make it uh, uh, possible to, in turn, draft KD because it was a— a desirable place to go. So I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I look at the big picture. I, I just don't – I understand what you guys are saying. I understand how the fans feel in terms of, like, go-getting a, well, I a mean, talent. There's, but there's a demonstrated value. I mean, that stars are more abundant the higher you get in the draft over over time. And that's just that's just the facts. But as important as, as high draft picks are, the most important things in basketball are A, good management, and B, good luck. Right. I mean, you look at the common denominator of the teams you're talking about. It's a combination of those two things, smart management and good luck. And, and but you can't you can't control the luck part. And on right. the management part, frankly, nothing's going to happen until we know the owner is anyway. And so given where they are, the thing, the only thing that you can control that means the most is where your draft pick is. Sure. Right. The, 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 there's no question that you can find uh you can find Tony Parker with the what was he twenty six was it right. twenty seven? You, you can, you can. Uh, but I mean, in fairness, the Spurs, yes, they were brilliant when they drafted Kawhi, but they were lucky and hurt and sucky when they drafted Tim Duncan right. and when they drafted David Robinson before that. They, they were, they were. I think in both of those instances, they had the fourth worst record in the league or something, and then they got lucky, which is what we're wanting the Grizzlies to be. Would I want them to be the Grizzlies to have one of the five? most efficient, smartest front offices in the league, like Golden State has, and San Francisco. yes, I would. But I think, what do you do? Do we just throw up? And Because it's, I agree, nothing's going to happen until we know about, until the ownership changes. So what do we do? Throw up our hands and just say they're dumb and sort of not care? Like, no. in, in the end, you, I would, I, I trust Chris Wallace to pick at two much more than I do to trust him to pick at eight. And so now the the other funny thing, of course, is that so in other words, you can't screw that up. No, you can. Yeah. He has two. You can, you can. But I trust him more. Right. I trust him more right. with two than at eight. The other the other course, the other problem is, is that most lottery picks don't. It's why I never was advocated blowing up the team when they were good, mm-hmm. when they were when they were eighth. Is because most lottery picks 
don't, in fact, transform teams. All you have to do is look at the Suns last night when they had how many, Chris? They, they had six lottery they had picks. six different lottery picks. They stink. Right. So <laughs> it's it's not – I'm not saying it's a guaranteed sure. answer, but it is a way of getting some talent for a team that is desperately in need of young talent. It was one of the points you made before we started, Ron, is that this is a very different losing season than any other losing season the Grizzlies have had mm-hmm. because in each one of the other losing seasons – there were young players who were at least you were watching to see them develop. You were, what's Powell going to be? What's Rudy going to be? What's Mike Conley going to be? What's OJ Mayo going to be? Every single year, what's Shane going to be? Here, the best you could say is what kind of a role player is Dylan Brooks going to be? But that has, but, but that's that partly the consequence before. of success, though. Yeah. And those other down periods, in the first down period when the team had come to Memphis, they had literally never been good before, yes. so they had only had high draft Those picks. were all lottery picks I just named, and, and then, they haven't and, had them. And right. then the second time, like they, they had been in the playoffs for three years, right? Right. When you're in the playoffs, and I know like they they have not hit. You, you, everybody wants to hit big on the guy outside the lottery. And over seven years, you would you expect to hit once, right? right? Once or twice. But they have not had a top ten pick since the to be. And so the reason all the young players are, are, you know, you're hoping they're role players is because they have not gotten lucky or gotten super smart on a pick. But it's mostly because they haven't had the good picks. Well, but see, here's here's my thing about that. And I thought about this because I don't I don't follow college basketball that intently. But, I mean, how many players in college basketball, roughly, Jeff? Well, I don't know. Hundreds. 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 hundreds, 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 hundreds and, so, and so then you add on the, the, the foreign crop, right? And, yeah. and then there are only 60 picks. 60. And that's all these guys do. That's, that's all they do all year is, right. is mine for talent. Right. <laughs> and, well, I can't and so I, yes. I think I think of 2011 when, okay, they had the 49th pick. No, no, that's not 2011. That's uh, when did they draft Jamal Franklin? 2011. Uh, that was the one Levian year of the draft. Right. Well, whatever year that was, that was I'm not. It's not 2011. It's the Jamal uh, Franklin draft. They had the 49th pick. They picked Jamal Franklin. They had a kid in that draft named Robert Covington. Went undrafted. Signed with the Houston Rockets as a free agent. Eventually traded to the Sixers. Has since become an NBA stud, and signed a 60 million dollar contract. Is it too much to ask well, for them it's, to, it's to go find much. him? Well, in one year, yes, it is too much to ask. Right. But over, over time, seven years, you right. hope to do it once. He should, they should have had. You can, If you want to, you can say, well, Jordan Adams will forgive him for this reason, and Xavier Henry will forgive him for this reason, and Wade Baldwin will forgive him for this reason. In fact, like Wade Baldwin, you mentioned Wade Baldwin. You can look at that draft. There's no one uh, after Wade Baldwin who has picked who they should have picked. I, I, I did, you the, I did the Brock. math on this earlier this yeah. season. Over 20 years of drafts, 20 years, the percentage of players in the top 10 who who have turned into what I would classify as a star, which is anything from a Mike Conley to a LeBron James, 30%. 30% chance of finding a star of a top 10 pick. The rest of the draft, 11 through 60, 3% chance. Your odds of finding a star player drops by from a magnitude of 1 to 10 once you get out of the top 10 picks. It's easy to remember the players out of the top 10 who became stars because there aren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. So we remember, oh, Kawhi Leonard went here and Emmanuel right. Ginobili went here, but mm-hmm. it's literally 3% of players outside the top 10 you who, just who become stars. You just want to occasionally. You would, over time... You would want him to hit on a few of these. You and get honestly, enough shots with, with that, Dylan Brooks, like they kind of maybe with a little yeah. bit have. But, but I don't think I don't even think there has to be a star. I just think it has to be some decent players. quality NBA rotation. Right. There's no player. question. <laughs> I mean, they, well, I'm, I'm not pretending that's not. I mean, they, have a, they have a bad draft history, but they also have not had the picks when they had it. They blew it with Shim the beat last time. They blew it with OJ Mayo. Like they've blown it when they've had the good chance, um, but they have not had the picks that yield high results. Here's the question, though, because when you talked about the guy at the phone place. Mm-hmm. 
their clear path, we know what their plan is. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is what, whether we think it will work. Very clearly, their plan is get Mike back healthy, get Mark back, have Chandler without whatever the hell's wrong with him, <laughs> some version of a Chandler, sign Tyreek, and add a player, and be back in the playoffs next year. That is their plan. How likely do you think that plan is of being of of being uh, of reaching fruition? Well, I frankly think it'll be much like it was going into this season. I, I think they would have been in the bottom half of, uh, of the Western Conference playoff picture. Right. I think they'll be fighting for a spot if they stay healthy. Yeah, it'll be fragile. It'll be exactly the same. Well, I right. think. I yeah. think if you give them truth serum, what they would say is yes, we hope to be in the playoffs. But realistically, we hope to be, even if we miss the playoffs, we hope to be decent enough that we give Boston a pick that's number 12, 13, 14, even if it's not the 20s. And then we have that obligation off of our books. Now the pick we owe to Boston is gone. We don't have to worry about a, another Otis Thorpe scenario where we're giving up a number two pick in the draft down the line. We don't owe any more picks. We only got one year left in the Chandler Parsons contract. Now we can sort of move forward with a clean slate. I think I think a lot of this is about the pick they owe Boston and wanting, instead of kicking the can down the road and adding that risk, wanting to get off of that with as little pain as possible. But see, that's part of the problem. The perception that I get from fans and season ticket holders who invest tens of thousands of dollars in this team right. is that um, that all sounds good, but they moved on from the core four without seemingly having a plan. Well, like it, it was they kind had, of by the seat of their pants. They had a plan, and it didn't work. Their right. plan was Ben McLemore and Tyreek Chandler Parsons and Chandler and, and whatever right. else. That was their plan. Yeah. Be more athletic. Their plan was let's be honest. Plan, it was David Fisdale, <laughs> Ben McLemore, uh, Tyreek. Um, you know that was their plan, yeah. and. The Fisdale part didn't work. Whatever reason, we know that it didn't work. Right. Like maybe well, he's gone. So. He's gone. Like, <laughs> right. If, if, either he w whatever something right. either something didn't work, uh, and the Macklemore we know didn't work, mm -hmm. and the Tyreek did work. And the weird thing is, is that that's the one thing that did work. And now because it did work, it could hurt the hit the hurt their ability to get a draft. Like yeah. otherwise, we actually would be celebrating that they had a plan. It just didn't work. Yeah. It was a it was in the end a bad plan. And a lot of people. Chris Amon, I don't remember what your stance was on the Macklemore thing, thought it was a bad plan, or at least that part of it was a bad plan. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, the guy's been bad for four years. I, I didn't have any faith yeah. in that. But Well, I, for the record, before you move on, I, I thought the change of scenery thing, I've seen it happen a million times. I thought it was good. He broke his foot. It would have been nice to see what would have happened. I mean, he's been terrible. I'm, I, I acknowledge that. But it would have been nice to see if it just yeah. had gone <laughs> smoothly. Yeah. yeah. But, right. uh, yeah, I mean, we're sort of – all over the place here a little bit, but mm -hmm. the thing is that given the, the, the level of consternation from the fan base, and I don't, you know, I don't pay for that. I go to most of the games, but I don't pay for it. So mm -hmm. I get that. But given the level of consternation, I wonder like, can, can, could people have stomach to blow it up? Cause there's a rationale to say, well, maybe they should have just blown it up. Right. And then you, you accelerate that rebuild. Maybe they should have traded Mark Conley, uh, Marcus all Mike Conley and all this, but you're going to be bad for two or three years when you do that. And there's a there's a very good rationale to say that's the best path. But if people are just cannot handle one year of losing after seven years of playoffs, can they handle oh, a full breakdown? If people can't handle half a season of hopelessness, because they're the first half, there right. was at least hope that this would season have turned into something. If they can't handle, um, Mike gets hurt. And so we're going to have a, inevitably have a bad year. Right. And let's get this one year of having a like 
yeah, I do think people have to toughen up. Like, you look around the league, the Lakers have stunk, the Celtics have stunk, everyone stinks at some point, and you've got to be able, as a fan base, to, to stomach some Yeah, but this is Memphis, and we all know how it, how it works well, it's here. small and big. Like, there's not as much <laughs> I mean, room for error. Yeah, no, right? no, and, uh, and, and, and I like when you said uh, Mark Conley, because if only Mark had Mike Conley's head on his shoulder, <laughs> because <Right. laughs> he would be a lot more even keel. Let's get into Mark. Because, you know, I think Vailey, publicly, he's starting to question it. I know privately he's starting to question it. Uh, when after the Boston game, he goes right to the bus and doesn't talk to the media, and he's clearly met, uh, mad. And then he comes back to Memphis, and after practice, he talks about, well, this is the NBA. It's about winning. You want to develop players. We've got a team and a league for that. And then uh, yesterday – he kind of reels it in, so like Mark is like all over the place as well. Well, he's always been. What emo- do you make of that? It's always been emotional, and but the thing is, like, it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. It, it it is what it is. The, their their reality is baked in, and it's going to be that for the rest of the season. So at this point, it's just he has to like such say the same stuff over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. This is why, like, I know we don't root for injuries, but I really. I just wanted him to twist an ankle last night. Just have a re- not a real injury. <laughs> no, Tyreek Evans rib thing. Soreness. No, that's that's the that's no, the easy, easiest, no. cleanest thing that Something you can get. Something real people. that will have no impact on him next season. <laughs> that will give him a reason not to go sit on the bench, but to get on a get on a get on a boat, go to a beach. <laughs> Get a fruity drink Get and just decompress. <laughs> this guy needs need needs vacation. No, he needs gardening. Well, There's he's no got question. his wine. He, he said red wine. wine. He, needs, he needs wine and eggplants <laughs> and like just because it's going to be. There's nothing he can say. He's going to be out there for that, thirty something minutes yeah, every so night. Why th- yeah, I mean they're going to be losing almost every night. He's going to be frustrated. It's going to be frustrating. Every night. But if, if he really was unhappy, he the time to be unhappy was before the trade deadline. Now you're just when he should have done a pow. Now it he is really it, now it is what it is, and so it, they'll regear and and Mike will come back healthy, and they'll talk themselves into it, and we'll and see, we'll see what it, happens. Right. Okay, so with Mark starting to question it, and then let's go back to the Gasol gathering or whatever we want to call it, the summit in the right. conference room when he says, "I'm 33, I don't have years to waste." So when you talk about what the plan is in terms of that pick to Boston. Right. So how does that fit into the idea of maximizing Mark and Mike at their peak? If it does, I mean, they're not going to be more than a low-level playoff team. That's th- that's the upside next season as a low-level playoff team. And so if like if that's not if even that is not good enough for you, then like you should ask for a trade because like that's what it is. But I think at this point the Grizzlies are trying to gently transition into the next era, right? And that means adding the, this high draft pick to a Marcus All Mike Conley to help them be competitive and not terrible next year. I, the idea of maximizing what they are, we've already seen the best. Right. The best of the Mike Conley Marcus All era has already happened. It's like Dirk Nowitzki. He's on a bad team. Like, is he every day? I know he has a championship. He won right. a championship. Yeah. So I it's mean, a he's fine. <laughs> he, he won a championship. But on the other hand, he's laboring along on a bad team. And so I think the thing with Mark will be I, I, I imagine they'll talk themselves into it this summer hopefully the Grizzlies pick number one they get DeAndre Ayton and then at the trade deadline they can make a decision from Marcus All's standpoint they get Luka Doncic oh, and Luka, he's excited yeah, about right, that he's, he's excited about Luka Doncic yeah over. exactly and right. so and then there might be a decision next trade deadline but by that point Mark's not worth very much um with all due respect and so um like I I'm I'm in, I, I'm not surprised by any of this with Mark I actually mm-hmm. think he's done it remarkably well at holding up mm-hmm. he hasn't had many of those moments like Boston he's both basically been 
Like he's out there. He's playing 35 minutes last night, diving on the floor for God's sakes. And so um, I don't know why the hell they had played him 35 minutes. And so I, 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 I commend him for how he's handling this. I think part of his frustration, frankly, guys, is that like he's had to answer for everything. Yeah, there's like, no one else. Yeah, he's had to answer why for Fizdale. Why need to turn an ankle and go away? He has <laughs> to go away. He has to answer for Fizdale. He had to answer yeah. for Mike's injury. He's he always to answer there. for Tyreek's the, the, the fiasco. Yeah, I mean, he's been pretty stand-up throughout this whole thing. <laughs> so like he every, does get a pass. Everyone else Boston. has been hurt. Tony and Zach are gone. Everyone else has been hurt. The and when that locker room talk, opens, it's just all every tomorrow. night. It's Marcus all every night. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I just think you guys have articulated a vision. Don't you think they should? I don't know who there is. To that. That's one of their <laughs> yeah, problems. I mean, obviously, that's, they have no problem. they have, that's one of their problems. They have nobody to articulate the vision. They did throw when Chris after the trade. They put Chris out there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, though, they don't have anyone to talk. They don't have an owner to talk. They have an interim head coach. Uh, and then they have a GM who, by and large, they've kept under lock and key because they thought he took too much before. And so now there's no one to articulate the vision. And Chris yeah. is talking so long that when he does it, People don't take them seriously. There's an element of spin and of right. filibustering, and it just it doesn't sound like. When he did talk, it doesn't sound real. We think the trajectory we we can trend upward. Like, did did, did that help anything? <laughs> no, right. There's no. no one to talk who can help anything. Um, no. So, you know, it's sort of where they are as an organization. So, let's wrap this up. You guys just rooting for the Grizzlies to lose. I I, I think the, the real the thing that you can do that does not complicate your life is root for the other teams to win, right? Like last night, man, the Hawks, the Hawks won mm-hmm. in, in against one at home against Indiana. I actually had, I tweeted it out, and I guess the guy wouldn't follow me on Twitter, and he checked his phone later. But there was a fan right behind me who like 10 minutes later said to his friend, his voice sort of brightened when he said it, wow, the Hawks won. Like he was excited <laughs> that the Hawks won. And so take it, like to, like we're recording, today we're recording this, tonight it's um, Brooklyn is playing Sacramento. One of those teams has to win, and that right. win will help the Grizzlies. So, Scoreboard watch and take pleasure in in the um the the, the poor fortune of winning that other lottery teams. Well, have. and I, I I do take some. I, it's no fun getting there, but I will tell you this: if the Grizzlies pick one, two, or three this year, that will generate excitement. That will be fun. That will mm-hmm. be exciting. It'll be exciting. The workouts will be exciting. The draft itself will be exciting. The lottery party, will be the exciting. whole thing. Right. Like the lottery, like the, the like. I do look. That is a way people say. Well, it's how, how are you going to sell tickets for this after this? How are you going to sell tickets for next year? Given what they're enduring right now. Well, the difference is, is that if they pick one, two, or three, they will have a lot easier time selling tickets than if they end up pick seven. I can tell you the old blog I used to do at the Flyer. The most traffic I ever got, the the highest traffic month I ever had was the month leading up to the Hashim Thabit draft. Mm. And they drafted Thabit, and then it it all went went downhill. (laughs) But the level of interest heading towards that draft was just through the roof. They had the number two pick in the draft and all these good players, and everyone was really excited about it. And then drafted Thabit. So we hope the follow-through is better this time. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll leave it there, and uh, we thank you guys for. Oh, I'm sorry, thank you guys for listening. <laughs> we'll be back at you next week uh, for no, another edition of the Grizzlies podcast. Check out Jeff Calkins' coverage alongside Chris Harrington and myself, Rod Tillery, on CommercialAppeal.com, and of course, use the Commercial Appeal app. The Grizzlies podcast is hosted by Ron Tillery, Jeff Calkins, and Chris Harrington, and posts each week during the regular season at CommercialAppeal.com. You can also subscribe to the Grizzlies podcast for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Grizzlies podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.